Drive-by cinema. Three nachos and a foaming thermos of fun. Hello and welcome. This is for indexing purposes. Should anyone wish to reference us in a future scholarly work, Season 4, Episode 22 of Drive-By Cinema. Hello! And that is my co-host Paul. Yes, and this is my co-host Richard. Welcome one and all to this festive episode. This is cosplaying at a movie review podcast. (laughs) True. Did you say they don't have to watch the movies, Richard? Do you know, I've heard that phrase now in lots of different contexts. Lots of different podcasts are saying... That they are reviewing politics so you don't have to, or... Some of the originators reading. of this phrase is what you're saying. I don't know. Well, Jolian, listener and contributor Jolian takes credit for coming up with that motto, I think. Well done, Jolian. But maybe he got it from somewhere else. Maybe it's a zeitgeist. It's in the air. It's difficult to imagine that the 20 or so listeners that we have have somehow propagated that... <laughs> to the rest of the internetosphere, could be core influences influences there that were that were, that were beholding to our attention. So, any corrections, <laughs> Richard, from previous episodes or not? No, I think we covered off our corrections last week, didn't we? We buried them, patted down the sand, and walked away, whistling and twiddling our thumbs and fingers. What have you been doing since uh, we met up just before Christmas? Any exciting festivities? I like to think of Betwixtmas as. A Twix, you know. Did you have a Twix during your Betwixtmas, by the way, Richard? I did. I love Twix. It's probably my favourite chocolate bar. Oh, they are. They're great, aren't they? So I'd like to split up my Betwixtmas into an earlier part and a second part, just like two two bars of a Twix. But I haven't been able to do that because Christmas fell on a... Was it a Monday? And so really, it doesn't really fall to kind of split it up like like you normally can do the seven days. It's kind of been a long, a long haul of overindulging. Yeah. And tonight, for us... Although maybe not for the listener, it's New Year's Eve. Absolutely. Now, they've done a great thing around here. If you're a cat lover or a dog lover, which I'm not particularly, they had their fireworks display at six o'clock. Right. Apparently it's less frightening for the animals then. I don't know why that is. It's still dark, isn't it? Yeah. Or I guess it gives them six hours to stop the after effects of their PTSD to wear off kind of thing, yeah. And of course, as I mentioned to you on the Discord, uh, Blackpool Tower was briefly on fire. Um, yes, with an orange flannel, it would seem. I thought it was nylon netting. Yes, nylon me, netting. Sounds like the non-trademark way of saying netlon. It is, yeah, which my uncle sold to the Chinese in 1980. Or sold the, right, sold the production rights to the Chinese in 1985, yes. Your uncle uh, sold the rights to netlon? Yes, he negotiated... Sorry, he was on the selling team. He negotiated the... What is it? Sold production rights in that, in that region to a Chinese company. Presumably they were worth a lot, because I imagine Netlon is heavily used industrial and con- construction. I think it was a big deal, yeah. yeah. Uh, he said he could buy a house in Lango Clitheroe because of it. So yeah, I, I can imagine the... I, if it was netting, I can imagine that would look like flames, because it has that disparate, intermittent kind of oranginess with the sky, doesn't it? This is the story that, briefly, it was being reported... That Blackpool Town was on fire, people have reported this netting. <laughs> well, they flew away. a helicopter over to make sure it was or wasn't. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Yes. Hmm. And it turned out, yes, to be just plastic netting. Plastic netting that was orange and looked like flames because it was obviously Netlon-esque and had holes in, so it kind of gave a dappled, fiery effect as it flapped in the wind. But a, a similar effect, it was a, a Hong Kong... I stayed in a small Hong Kong fishing village for a while, and they had a huge, I don't know what kind of tree... One of those big, thick, kind of Asian trees that... Uh, you stayed in a Hong Kong fishing village for a for, while. Yeah, for about six months I lived What, there. were you lying low? Why, why were you... No, it's just cheaper than living in Hong Kong, for crying out loud. I mean, there's a sophisticated underground transportation system that takes you to the city in about 25 minutes. So, I mean, I don't know why Hong Kongers love to live in cities, but they do. But there's plenty of cheap fishing villages around. What were you li- living in, a, like a hut on the beach or something, catching fish? Or well, it's kind. Of, do you know those Greek villages that are all painted white? Right. Yes. It's like that, but not painted white. Right. Okay. And a little more cramped, but essentially the same kind of village vibe. Really nice. I mean, I don't know why you'd want to live in a fifty-five story housing estate, but Hong Kongers do. And there, they had this thick, whatever kind of yew tree. Or I don't know what it was. People uh, would say that's a smoking tree. And huh. at six or seven o'clock, because I mean, dust tends to fall 
the same time, pretty much irrespective of the seasons there. Uh, six, seven, or eight o'clock at night. Uh, if you gathered, you, you could see smoke kind of rising from it. And it was kind of set out in the gardens by by the bay kind of thing. So you couldn't actually get that close to it. But actually what it was were swarms of insects rising up and swimming, sort of flying around kind of thing. But it had the, it had the real appearance of flames. So very interesting, those kind of optical Horrifying. Effects. I think you may be landing by accident upon one of the reasons why people want to live in cities and not in <laughs> sort of <Yeah>. tropical <laughs> villages. <laughs> Potentially also, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the thing about Blackpool Tower is, can it burn? Is there anything up there to be on fire? They say it is made from the... It's built on the cotton bales from the factories of East Lancashire. It's not true. That was a euphemism for saying the money came. The money, yes. Came from cotton mills. actually but, made of cotton mills. <laughs> but locals yeah. seem to think it's... Like Venice is built on silts of, of, of oak. They've sunk cotton into the ground in order to stop it sinking into the sand, which is a very strange notion, isn't it? No, I, well, I mean, could it? I don't think it could. I don't think there's enough flammable material in the surface underneath to really heat up the iron to melting point, is there? It's an interesting oh, yeah. question, isn't it? Though It would be a shame to see Blackpool Tower go because it's the kind of thing that's never going to get built again, isn't it? Like the Eiffel Tower, really. No one's going to... I imagine no one's going to pitch in just to build a tower for no other reason than building a tower. Although, I guess Dubai has all of those kind of things, doesn't it? Increasingly going through Blackpool, you kind of think, well, what are they going to do with this place? Because it's it's not Alton Towers. I mean, Alton Towers is now an up-to-date contemporary theme park that is set in gardens like every other theme park and has the best rides kind of thing and lots of space to expand into and Blackpool Pleasure Beach can never become that, can it? So it's full of these kind of attractions that are neither antique and charming in that sense, but nor are they sort of cutting edge and where you want to go for a holiday without sunshine as a choice. So, I mean, I don't know. So, I mean, the tower, I think, is like that too. I mean, it's not the Eiffel Tower. It's a plain copy of the Eiffel Tower. And uh, it's got a circus underneath it, which is interesting, which fills with water. Uh, it's got the, the 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 circus ring fills with water in twelve seconds, I think. Becomes a swimming pool deliberately. Yeah, oh. they used to have animal shows, didn't they? they used to have seals in there, kind of thing, and wading elephants, I think, and that kind of thing. So I, I don't know, really. I wouldn't be particularly sad to see it go. I have to say. Here's my idea. Why don't they get a really big tarpaulin? This is coming from the circus, right? And you could use the Blackpool Towers like the tent pole, and you could stretch it out. Providing rain shelter over a very wide area, massive tarpaulin, just nail it down around various <laughs> points around. Well, you're hitting on my idea, which is we'll be an indoor resort, you know. Exactly, exactly. Indoor, outdoor. Yeah, why not? Go for it. I have to say that, I mean, the whole place, I mean, the, the illuminations have not either stayed with the times or moved with the times. I mean, either you do it as a classic kind of light bulb affair, or you have wonderful animated, the kind of animated effects you see if you'd gone on Las Vegas Strip. And it's neither nor, really, at the moment. So it's a rather piddly kind of strings of LED affair at the moment. So, yeah, I think they need to rethink lots of things. But there we go. Well, what is illuminating the cinema screens or the television screens for our movie-watching pleasure this week? Shall we find out? Basic breath. Here we go. So, Paul, what kind of moon are we dealing with this week? We are dealing with the Rebel Moon, part one. I'm not sure if it's part one of the moon or part one, part one of the movie. Rebel Moon, part one, A Child of Fire. A Child of Fire. I don't know how mm-hmm. I'm going to remember the subtitle. To me, it's always been Rebel Moon, even though it's conceived as a multi-part. Are there going to be three or just two? Do we know? Three, I think, but... I mean, I'm not sure even the second one's going to get made, potentially. I mean, I don't know. No, it's already made, Paul. It's already it's made? Already, I think oh, wow. it's already made, and I think it's got a release date next year. They ought to it's... send a memo to the people who do Stranger Things about that one, don't they? Hey? <laughs> it's a good idea, you know, before your actress, actors and actresses become famous. Or too old. Or too old. Make them make a second one, rather than bumping up their fees to 20 million a time. Yeah, but a TV series is a bit of a different proposition from a, a film. Correct, you're right, actually. Albeit a major... <laughs> Blockbustery type. This is a direct to Netflix release. It is, yes. An increasingly common venture that we are seeing here. 
I mean, sometimes we get that cursory kind of release to theatres for two weeks, don't we? And then to Netflix. But this went straight to Netflix, you know? It's by... Oh, no, sorry. This had a limited theatrical release also. Sorry. Did it where, though? In four major cities. So a very, very limited theatrical release. Yeah. Not a city that I was in, I don't think. And it was six days before the Netflix release. So it, you can almost say it didn't have a theatrical release at all. This is Zack Snyder, and it was released just before Christmas. It's plastered all over Netflix, was it? Yeah. It was, yeah. We get an opening exposition thing, don't we? A, a narrative, I think, by Anthony Hopkins, by the sound of it. Am I imagining that, or was Anthony Hopkins doing the voiceover? Anthony Hopkins was in this. I see his name on the credit list. So we hear him explaining that a thousand kings ruled in unbroken succession, and then an assassin killed the king and queen, and a guy called Belisarius declares himself regent. Now, you see, I wasn't watching carefully enough. I thought Belisarius was the assassin. And then when he later referenced his slain king, I thought, wait a minute, if he's the assassin, why is he talking in honourable terms about the slain king? That settles something for me. Thank you very much. No, but you're right, Paul. Maybe he is the assassin, really, ah. secretly. Because he's benefited greatly from their assassination, hasn't he? He's a rumbugger. The opening shot is a woman plowing a field by some kind of horse-like thing that's not a horse. Yes. On apparently the moon of a gas giant, because we see the gas giant in the sky. Oh, well noticed. As she's doing this, a what I can only describe as a low-rent Bradley Cooper arrives. <laughs> and they couldn't have gotten Bradley... Go on. So. Well, they couldn't, they couldn't have gotten Bradley Cooper, could, we, could they? No, he's, he's, doing, he's doing several quiz shows at the moment. That's the, no, I'm sorry, there's somebody else. That's Bradley Walsh. I'm sorry. <laughs> Who's Bradley Cooper? Bradley Cooper is the guy who's just done the... What about the conductor, the musician guy? Bernstein. Is it Bernstein? Leonard Bernstein. Oh, right. Biopic. He plays Bernstein. Yeah. Oh, wow. He, he also plays the rocket raccoon in Guardians of the Galaxy. Wow. But anyway, he's not in this film. I don't know why we're talking about him. So we have, we have a farm woman tilling the somewhat meagre soil of a moon of a gas giant. And then he turns up being a good guy or a bad guy. I think he's a good guy, isn't he? He's Gunnar, who is a, a member of this simple farming community that we're starting out in. I see. Of course, if you're doing something that's a space adventure or a Star Wars-y space adventure, you've got to start off with an agricultural-based community, haven't you, for some reason? Yeah. Uh, There's a really nice sweet spot here. It's sort of half sanctimonious hippie community and half traditional Christian clothes community kind of vibes all mixed together. There was a nobleness to what they were doing, wasn't there? And they, were, they, were, they were quite quite, quite eager to express that, I thought. Now, we learn that she is called Cora, the woman with the ploughing behaviour. She's played by Sophia Butella. Not so familiar with her, but she's pretty cool in this. I love her undercut, like, haircut. Yeah, remind me of that girl out of Elastica from the 1990s. <laughs> what else has she been in? Oh, she was in Climax. Ah. No way. Yeah. No, no wonder I, I warmed at her. She was cool, anyway. They go back to the village. They dance to Irish music, because, of course, of course they dance to Irish folk music. No, it's, it's, it's very sort of low-tech, isn't it? Apart from the fact they've got automatic sort of swish, open-closed doors. I don't know quite why they have that. Do they? Uh, but they're in a Viking longhouse, aren't they? Basically? Viking longhouse, but the doors are kind of like, like Star Wars doors. I don't know if you noticed that. They kind of open and close automatically. Now, the village boss is doing some kind of ritual, and it appears to be the time of year where the village boss tells them all to fuck. I don't know. It's mm. some kind of fertility thing, isn't it? Well, uh, we've seen this with the North Sentinel, Sentinel Islands, haven't we? They have these Stone Age people have ritual orgies, don't they? You said that, I think, on the last episode. Three me. times, yeah, yeah. I'm obsessed with it. Yeah, but no, so they have some sort of fertility right where in order to encourage the plants to get jiggy with it, they get jiggy with it. So. Are we talking about the North Sentinelese now or? No, we're talking about these people in this movie. The people of the Moon Velt or the Moon Velt, thank you. Velt. I'm not sure whether it's the place or the. It's plant. the moon, I think. Yeah. It's the sticks in the Empire, isn't it? It's the boondocks, anyway. Exactly. She sort of shares a house with some guy who she's not, I don't think, together with. But he's telling her that this guy called Dan fancies her and that they should check up together. I don't think much comes of Dan in the rest of the film, does it? He clearly kind of fancies Cora. Turns out she's a refugee of war, that she was found by this guy 
in a spaceship that had crashed, I think. That's right, yeah. And she's kind of hanging out at the village, presumably helping them with the ploughing. And I don't know, it sounds pretty awful to me to have to help people with that agricultural work just because you happen to have crash-landed there. <laughs> but apparently she doesn't want to go back to wherever she came from. Next morning in the field, of course, something bad happens. A spaceship glides through the clouds, hanging there, as Douglas Adams would say, exactly like a brick doesn't. Cora sees this, and she runs to get the hammering hammer to hammer the hammering bell so that she can let everyone know that spaceship is turning up. Seems, I mean, mixed reaction in the village, isn't it? Some of them Mm -hmm. want to trade grain with the newcomers. I'm not sure why a spacefaring, you know, civilization with enormous ships that can cross (laughs) light years. (laughs) You know, why would they not be able to make food in some way? I don't know. They're just going to these planets for Weetabix. Is that what the the deal is? I I think it's trying to get across the idea of tribute, isn't it? They don't need this, but in order to protect them. As you would the gods, you, you offer them some sort of tribute. Well, the only way to make sense of this film, of course, is to remember this is a retelling, not the first retelling either, of the Kurosawa, is it a Kurosawa movie? The Seven Samurai? Is it explicitly based on that? Oh, God, yeah. I mean, it's a Magnificent Seven, Dirty Dozen style Seven Samurai story, isn't it? It's one person, Cora in this case, is going to have to go around picking mm. up a small army of reprobates. Oh, it is, yes. To face down the evil menace that is menacing their village. It's the same story as as all of these things. Now, Admiral Atticus Noble is leading these this this troop of, of Imperial soldiers, I guess you would call them. And he's played by Ed Scrine, who is a British rapper. Is that right? A rapper? I hadn't heard that. Well, he was a rapper. Now he's moving to movies since 2013, I think. But he does... Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's now become a cliche of Hollywood movies that anybody who's a sort of arch baddie, arch nemesis or arch baddie has to have some sort of British accent, doesn't he? So. That's got to be a rapper. So yeah. And has to be a rapper too. Would say. Well, he's got quite a look about him, doesn't he? Mm. And the uniforms that they're all wearing are quite interesting. I've heard a bit of talk about this. Something of a criticism, really. But I thought their uniforms were quite, mm. well, stylish, aren't they? I mean, they're very sort of, what's the word? The real throwbacks, sort of classic vintage military uniform style, aren't they, with epaulets and stuff like that, lots of buttons. A touch SS. Is that the criticism of them? Or? I mean, everybody knows that Hugo Boss did the Nazis' uniform. Yes. That's yeah. the well-known fact. Just because they were fascists doesn't mean they didn't build good motorways. <laughs> I mean, the truth is, all militaries have a stylish, like to have a stylish uniform. It's a, it's we're projecting, you mm. know, your power in a sort of soft way, isn't it? So maybe it's tribute, or maybe it's the fact that they're going to be here for some time because they're hunkering on down these imperial... This imperial death ship is here to find a band of rebels. Revolutionaries. Blood axes. Seems they've been attacking the supply ports. The Admiral here, Admiral Atticus Logan, as you say, he wants them to pay triple what they would normally have to pay, and they'll be able to buy robots. Because the chief explains that they wouldn't be using robots because they like to do things the old-fashioned way. Mm-hmm. Again, it's a bit Amish, isn't it? This, uh... It is a bit Amish, yeah. Yeah. Now, there's some dispute, and it's it's town hall dispute. So this does seem to be a very democratic community, almost perhaps needlingly so. In any case, you know, uh, the father of the group has put forward his objections, and then there's a sinister silence before... Atticus Noble beats him to death with a blunt instrument. Is that right? That's right. He's got a special stick, hasn't he, that he... Oh, to beat people to death with. He has one of his his uh, sort of ceremonial flunkies hand it to him. And the hero's death. Then he... Uh, <laughs> he beats the hipster chief to death, yes, with the stick. And his wife, who tries to object, gets sliced with a laser sword, I think would be the phrase we'd have to use for legal reasons... By a soldier, <laughs> a soldier or guard of the. Uh... Now th- these people are from somewhere called that they always refer to as the Mother World, mm-hmm. and these are the Imperial agents of the Mother World, aren't they? This ship and so this... something like an Imperium. Yes, it's got real Warhammer forty thousand with light with light swords yeah. with laser swords. Yeah, it's got real Warhammer forty thousand ambiance to some of this. I think, mm-hmm. which I think is a positive thing. Anyway, it's punishment for the whole village for not saying yes immediately. He wants a, a ridiculous amount of grain, 
that will leave them starving. Is that right? That's right. That's right. And he's going to come back in 10 weeks. So that's the time limit. We have the timer set. That's presumably how long the movie arc is going to take. He's going to come back in 10 weeks Mm -hmm. to collect his, uh, his tribute, as it were. And he leaves behind a squad of soldiers, brutes, a lot of them. Actually, a lot of them seem to have South African accents, Paul. The True. The heavies, don't they? And a special box, which when one of them opens it, turns out to be a robot Anthony Hopkins. Now, this robot, I mean, since the death of the, the emperor, king. the king, this robot has become something of a pacifist. Is that right? Apparently all of the robots of the Mechanicus Militarium laid down their arms when the king was slain. So now they just act as menial labourers. That's what they brought him here to do, to carry boxes. The South African grunts don't seem to have much regard for it, do they? They make fun of him and knock him into a pile of space horse dung. And so, either contrary or because of his programming, he seems to start to side with the villagers. Is that right? That's right. He seems to have pacifist tendencies and not really seem to be on board with what the... Mother World Imperium is doing. So the South Africans are behaving badly, whipping asses and squeezing bits they shouldn't be squeezing and generally bullying people. But there is one good soldier, one of the, the oh, younger one. Yeah, the fit one, yeah. <laughs> the, the twink yeah. soldier, yeah. A twink, yeah. So he stands out as being, like, looking nothing like the rest of them. And he's a British actor. What's he called? He plays, I missed his name. I thought it was Harry, but it's not Harry, is it? It's in the... What does he, who does he play? He plays... It's Aris. He plays Aris, and his name is Sky Yang, and he's an up-and-coming Brit-Asian actor who did something in lockdown where he walked around London with a yellow box on his head to highlight how Asians were being treated during the COVID pandemic and has entered mainstream after that. Oh, really? I didn't know that. That's interesting. Mm. Is that on YouTube somewhere, then? It must be on YouTube somewhere. I'm, I'm just reading something I researched later. But. but yeah, he's well fit and he's, you know, really young and handsome and he's very honourable and he kind of steps in the way to stop, along with Cora, one of the village, I guess, I guess the South Africans refer to her as a wench, getting raped. Is that right, yeah? That's right, yeah. There is threats of sexual assault about to happen before he steps up. Mm-hmm. That's when this girl who, who escaped this finds Cora, the robot yeah. cleaning itself at the river. No, no, this is Sam, the the, oh. the near victim of the assault. Sorry, Cora's stepped in to stop all this. Cora's a badass, it turns out, yeah. Mm-hmm. She's packing to run away, though. She wants to get out of here. And she's concluded that these guys will show them no mercy, even if they give them all the grain. So you were talking about Sam, the girl that was about to be raped or didn't get raped. Yeah, she goes to meet the robot who's cleaning himself at the river. That's when the robot gets all wistful and talks about, you know, the dead king and... And better way. And she starts to garnish him with like garlands and stuff like that. Is that right? She puts a flower garland on his head. Yeah. That's right. Yes, that's right. Yeah. They've killed the whole sort of standby troop, haven't they? The villagers have killed all the soldiers. Is that right? Just after this, that the South African soldiers are having another go, and Cora this time mm-hmm. steps in, picks up a hand axe, and along with the young private Aris, as you say, Aris, they yeah. fight about five soldier guys. They have a great fight. Zack Snyder is renowned for these fights with all the slow-mo stuff. Really well edited as well, so you can see exactly what's going on. There's none of this like snappy cuts, sloppy work. It's all beautifully choreographed. Plays out nicely. Of course, Cora and this young soldier guy, Aris, have won. There's a standoff with the boss holding Sam hostage. And the robot shows up out of nowhere and shoots the boss. That's right, yeah. And then runs away. So not so pacifist anymore. That's what a, that's what a kippy garland will do to any anybody. <laughs> there you go. So uh, obviously they've got well, is it ten weeks they've got until they've got compens for this? I mean, Cora, who is a retired or yeah, it turns out escaped soldier. She knows she that used this is to be. Shit, yeah. She used to be in the Mother World Army, didn't she? Wow. In fact, she's got this amazing now, there's a twist. like gold inlaid pistol that her housemate <laughs> has been keeping for, for her. And she's determined now that she's going to go and see a guy called General Titus, who's one of the renegades. Ah, okay. So she knows these. Well, maybe they've been supplying with the grain. Is that the, is that the reason why they were not so keen to supply the Imperium? That's right. Pound shop Bradley Cooper Gunner says he can take her <laughs> to his grain trading contact in the resistance. And that, that, that way he'll be able to find this Titus guy. 
So they all set out on horseback for some reason. I don't know why. That's when they're talking about... Do they leave a planet? No, they go to a nearby town. No, they, town, do have, they have to leave the planet at some stage, don't they? Huh. This is where we get Cora's backstory, though. Belisarius had ravaged her home. She met him as she was fleeing the destruction. He captures or corners her and offers her to shoot him with the gun that she found. But instead... Which, which Marvel movie is it where the guy decides to kill half the people in the universe? That's, well, Thanos, isn't it? It's uh, the Infinity Thanos, War yeah. sort of sequence. But he takes, he takes pity on one little girl, doesn't That's he? That's right. Yeah. Raises her as his daughter. Same, same story here. Yeah, quite right. He keeps this girl who doesn't shoot him as his daughter. She grows up in the army under Belisarius. And becomes a crack elite soldier. In fact, the best soldier of the Imperium, is that right? Or the mother and apparently the these soldiers are encouraged to find a lover in their army. She finds a hot uniformed boyfriend. But he dies in battle while she's fighting alongside him. She's made an officer at the age of 18. At some point, you're disillusioned, I think, by the death of a lover and stuff and escapes the whole military kind of thing. Anyway, they wind up at the port city of Providence on Velt, this moon. And they wind up in a bar, obviously, and the contact that they wanted to speak to is being captured by bounty hunters with these amazing so, robot capture sorry. chairs, Paul. <laughs> now, this is, you know, I mean, like, a little bit Star Wars, perhaps? The whole vibe of going into a weird bar full of... Full of aliens. aliens kind of yeah, it's very, very uh, Star Wars. Just a little bit, you know. Uh, before that, there is a plot twist or a plot oh, nugget they give us. I've missed something. That, 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 that we don't really pursue at all. But I want to ask you about it. Okay, so she gets promoted to be the bodyguard of Princess Issa. Now, Princess Issa has has special powers of rebirth and, and renewal, okay? And she is due to take the throne once her father dies. It's Cora that fails to protect Princess Issa when she's assassinated. But maybe this will become apparent in the next movie? I don't know. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, oh. uh, um, uh, maybe some of the more of the backstory comes out later. I don't, I'm not sure I remember that at this point. Maybe you're right. Mm. You're right. Princess Issa makes a bird come back to life, doesn't she? Mm. In one of the flashbacks. We go into You're talking about the arrest, the arrest chairs. Yeah, the arrest chairs. So these are like robot nice chairs that run up behind someone and they kind of sort of grab you and manacle you, your wrists and feet. So do what a lasso, lasso does, but in a more sort of cumbersome way. Yeah, and, and you can move around. You, the chair can walk around with you held in it, can't By yes. your wrists and your uh, ankles. That's the word I was grasping for. I think they can also execute you, because we see at one point that they've got a thing at the back of your neck, and they can just inject you or or kill you or paralyze you. That's that's what they do. They, they put a sort of drill through, don't they? And it cuts your spine off, so you wind up paralyzed. There's some exposition at the beginning of the movie about... The whole philosophy of how they rule the mother world, and it's it's not in terms of democracy, democracy or even profit. Oh. They prefer to wipe people out rather than benefit from enslaving them. And this is something that Cora is very clear about. That's why she flees. That decides to get back up from the rebels from after what they've done to the, the South African soldiers. But I see. There we go. They go in this alien inn, and there's all kinds of different creatures in there from different places. But not as amusing as Star Wars creatures. <laughs> and while in there, some alien tries to buy Gunnar for sex. Pound Shop Bradley Cooper apparently has turned the eye of this Oh, alien. that's... Oh, it was quite funny, wasn't it? It is quite funny, but it is also a case of the gay guy being an odorous, unpleasant, malevolent character, which is a bit awkward, I think. Well, I think we have to say... In all movies, when a guy hits on somebody in a bad way in a bar, is there an excess number of gays represented there? I don't think there is. So, oh, so it could easily have been Cora being hit on, couldn't it? And I think, I think so. I, I didn't, didn't really come across as, or maybe it's saying that men don't deserve to be hit on like women deserve to be hit on. Therefore, making this a focus of the story. I see what you're saying. There is potentially some sort of... Well, it's why it's why men are so upset and frightened of being hit on by guys, isn't it? Because th mm. it's the idea that a man would treat them like they would treat a woman. Like 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 a woman, yes. Yeah. Like like a lesser person, yeah. So there's all kinds. There's not just potential homophobia. There's potential sort of straight... It's misogyny. misogyny it's involved. misogyny, yeah. All kinds of stuff in, in making it a focus in, in this humorous way. Because it's not treated seriously, is it? I mean, it's a serious issue being... No, being exactly, uh, yeah. exploited in the way that this guy, this this lech does. 
in the kind of way. It's not funny, really, is it at all? What happened? I did, no, I didn't find it's it presented humor. I find it a bit awkward. Cora obviously steps in to protect Gunner's dignity. She chucks the alien into a table, and she pretty much openly, outright says to her whole bar that she's looking for General Titus. Doesn't seem the smartest thing to do to me, but there you go. And a giant tick controlling a man through tentacles speaks through the man. Yes! What was all that about? It's a fever dream of an exact uh, moment, wasn't it? I like the imagination. No, it's good, yeah, it's good. It explains that Titus is on a place called Pollux, and ah. suddenly the gay alien comes back into the scene with two buddies, and there's a shootout and another great fight sequence. It all ends when a stranger shoots the Galian. This, <laughs> this new stranger is called Kai. He's unaccountably yeah. Irish. He's an alien Irish. For some He's got wonderful, wonderful locks of hair. Space Irish. Fabulous. Like Riverdance, Riverdance never fucking happened, Irish. He's, yeah, he's got Celtic fucking hair. He's got hair like Waterfall, hasn't he? It's amazing. He assures us that he, uh, and Cora and Gunnar, that he's not a bounty hunter. And he says he'll help them get to Pollux because he's got a ship. And uh, A bit dodgy, though. You know, why would you say you're not a bounty hunter if you're not? They fly off the planet through the rings of the gas giant. And nice shot. We see Adm- the Admiral now. We cut to interior shot of the Admiral administering some kind of space hookah to weird welts all over his, I think, near-naked body. Or totally naked body. He's got, like, yeah. rings like sucker marks. And he's plugging this hookah into... Now, later on, does this hookah allow him to appear in alternate universes or alternate... I think oh, so, yeah. Oh. Something funny. So, essentially, we're talking about spice, aren't we, really? Mm, well, I see what you're saying mm. here. Yeah, That's a little bit, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and there we go. So, yeah, but he, he seems to rely on this stuff, and he doesn't seem very well without it, does he? So, Kai, space Irish, he goes off to, despite the fact he's taking them somewhere quite important, he has to stop off somewhere to do an errand, not sure why, Yeah. called New Woody, I think, a New Woody. It's right. the name of the planet. Just thought I'd signpost that in case you were following along. I, I was gulping this part of the movie down, Richard, so, so it passed me by. He goes to see the second agricultural setting. This is a space rancher. This space rancher has some kind of slave or serf working off a debt. Tarak, yeah? Well, I thought it was Derek, but you're right. It's Tarek or Tarak. <laughs> so we had Aris, I thought it was Harry. We've got Tarak, who's Derek, yeah. Fair play, you know, get that audio crisper. Come on, Netflix. Now, this debt is 300,000 dirhams. Not sure what that means. but Quite a lot. It's too much for Cora and the crew. But the rancher offers them a bet, as you do. And he says, yeah, if- I quite like the fact he said, I, you, know, I, you know, I just love a bet. It's a cruel bet, isn't it? If this guy can ride this giant beast outside, which is an enormous yeah. griffin, by the way, as far as I can tell. Oh, I thought it was a giant peregrine falcon. It's got four legs, hasn't it? It's got four legs. <laughs> it has. Sorry. I was watching this late at night. I was thinking, God, they're not on the CGI well that. So if he manages to ride this griffin, he doesn't call it that, obviously. Well, his name is Tarak, Tamer of Beasts, so come on. Then he's free to go. But if he fails to, then they, they all, all become, become slaves. slaves. Which seems very unfair. Seems like a fair bet. I don't know. I thought it was a fair bet, really. But they agree to it, so they obviously agree with you, Paul. Yeah, they were going to shoot out if they failed, weren't they? Let's face facts. Yeah, I mean, so Space good. Derek unchains Go it quiet. and mounts it. Space <laughs> Derek! <laughs> it flies off into the He does a good air. job, doesn't he? He, d- he There's does. There's a tense moment where it's, it's touch and go, but he managed to tame this beast because he treats it right. Yeah, That's right. It's a, yeah. like the Harry Potter moment where he bows to the griffin or whatever it is. The- I thought you were going to say when he gives a blowjob to a horse. But, yeah. <laughs> It's a different Harry Potter movie. Not in the Harry Potter I read. <laughs> so there were two versions of the Harry Potter books, weren't there? There was an. I'm always suspicious of people that are close to animals. I'm just uh, no, just no, no. I'm not having it. it no, stop stroking that horse's nose. It's disgusting. <laughs> Sorry, Richard. Harry Potter came in two editions, didn't it? It came in a child edition and an adults edition. Did it really? We, we, we adult, not adult, adult, but well, adult. it was just the cover was different. So that you could read it on the bus or tube without feeling embarrassed. Without getting laughed at, yeah. yeah. Well, it's terrible prose anyway, isn't it? So I wouldn't say it's terrible. It's just oh. very ordinary, is it? It's straightforward. Well, it's, and- it's just... I would say Enid Blyton does a better job, to be honest with you. I mean, it's a long Famous time since five. I've attempted to read on Enid Blyton. Secret Seven. And she, at the time, she was castigated for a terrible, terrible prose. 
And she was like, well, I'm writing for children. What do you expect? Which I think is a fair point. Do you know what well, I mean? Well, J.K. Rowling could make the same uh, claim. She could, actually. Could, she I mean, the, the thing about Enid Blyton is I, I never really vibed with the... Secret Seven? You're joking. But the world that those kids live in is not like anything like any world I'm familiar with. I know that's what made it attractive, Richard. Right. It's like the Secret Garden. Do you remember that one? The Railway Children. Oh. Sure, yeah, yeah. I'll tell you something we don't get in children's storytelling anymore. It's Sinbad and Arabian Nights. Right. But, I mean... Why is that? I, mean, I, I loved Arabian Nights particularly because it was an exotic world. So, Oh, yeah, The Secret Seven was a very exotic world for me. It was a world of ants with Morris Miners, wasn't it? And that kind of <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, sorry, we digress. We have digressed. So... Well, obviously... Except to say, except to say, so Harry, let me get by Harry Potter. Okay, not the pros. I just thought the ideas... How did they become fashionable again? Just terribly... All of it was really... It's retreading. Sort of, it's retreading ideas, isn't well, it? Well, not just that. It's really kind of clunky ideas. Schoolhouses and boarding school. Yeah, but people okay. love that stuff, don't they? Again, it's... No, I... Well, how? What? It's the I same thing. It's exotic to most people. Particularly, you know, Americans don't have anything like that in their school system. Well, maybe do we now Ivy go to med- do, what I'm saying is, like, do we now all love to go to a medieval banquet like we did in the eighties? Americans do, don't they? They have rent fairs and stuff. It just it, it, like it's got that feel of medieval medieval banquet. It's like just a completely bit, agree. Yeah, it's a bit. No- yeah. it's a knockout. You know, it's a, it's bit, a, knockout, a bit naff, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> you know, Harry Potter. It's just a bit naff. Really. Yes, but it I, I agree. Became hugely fashionable. I don't know quite how. I mean, Tolkien just always in fashion because it's fabulous ideas. But Harry Potter, I don't know. I mean, sorry. Anyway, no, I, I'm broadly in agreement with your mystification about it. My poor, poor, my poor attempt to explain what I was. What thinking. I did like about Harry Potter, <laughs> let let me let me just make a slight case for it is not Fantastic Beasts. I love that bit. No, 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 that was I liked, that was a movie she should have made. I think I like the way it really follows him through. Much more edgy. I like the way it follows him through a number of years of school. It's like kind of Grange Hill kind of drama, isn't it? And you're watching them grow yeah. up and go to school and do their exams. I thought that was quite cute. A good way yeah, for I, children Yeah, it's a gamble, see. isn't it? You know, is he going to turn into a swan or is he going to remain a duck? <laughs> <laughs> Space Irish Kai is going to take them somewhere else now. So Space Derek has joined the crew. Now they go to a cobalt mining planet called Dagus. To pick up who? This time they're meeting an Asian lady who is dressed as a witch, really. Yeah, what was all that about? In kind of black lace, kind of pointy hat, literally a witch. By the way, all of these characters, we're usually, for the sake of brevity, introducing them with like one line, like Spider-Woman abducted as a child kind of thing. This is the depth of characterization that we get in the entire film for all of these characters, isn't it? It's no more than one line, usually, about any of them. Well, he's got quite a lot of action to pack, pick in, pack, pack in at some point, hasn't he? So, so there's seven of them, but I don't, I don't know who the others are. So I've got to be honest with you. We haven't got up to it yet, but I was going to ask. Oh, do you know who Christ. plays the space witch? I don't know. Well, Please tell me it's not Michelle Yeoh. No, it's Korean actress Bay Duna. Or Duna Bay, depending on how you want to pronounce it. And she was in Host, the... Is that right? The- no way. She was in Host, yeah. Yeah, she was in The Host. It's called The Host, actually, yeah. So she was the one with the bow and arrow, was she? Or was she the younger girl? She's a younger girl, I think. Yeah, that sounds plausible. That's interesting, right? We've seen her before. Anyway, what's happening here on the cobalt mining planet of Dagus is some kind mm. of spider alien has abducted a young child. That was it, yeah, yeah. So the witch okay. woman called a nemesis is going to have to kill the spider woman, which she does with a pair of swords, which I don't think oh. are laser swords all the time, but maybe just at the end they turn into laser swords. <laughs> and all of the rest of the crew watch on as she does her work and kills it. It's quite a gory fight. They meet Titus, don't they, at some point, who is like, he's just like a soldier, isn't he? And he's got big muscles, is that right? He's got flowing hair too, or not? I can't remember. Slow down, slow down. Because we've oh. only got, how many we've got? We've got Space Derek, Space Kai, Gunner, Cora. Is Aris not along for the ride? Fit Aris? No, Aris is back oh. on the home planet. And now we've got Nemesis. Oh. So we've only got five so far, Paul. So there's at least two more. We've got the, we've got the two rebels, you know, the rebel brother and sister, to, you know, the leader of the rebels. Like the, uh... the next up is the Gladiator Arena on Pollux. Where they find General Titus. Titus. There we go. And he's looking like a hobo, isn't he? 
Maybe he's drunk. That's you know. right. He's down he's and well out. fit anyway. Yeah. They clean him up and get him all sober. And he's well fit, yeah. Cora rouses him from his condition with all his self-pity, I suppose, with talk of revenge for what's been enacted upon him. Ah. Is it then that they go and pick up Morpheus? Sorry, sorry, not Morpheus. Damien. Now, we now see that there's a captured insurgent contact who's now being interrogated by the Admiral. Oh, that's right. Who promises yes. to set him free if he tells what he knows. Of course, this guy does. And, of course, the Admiral kills him because he interpreted set you free in a different way. Rather than lying, he wants to tell a truth that can be interpreted. Because that's what a half-decent bad guy does, isn't it? It does. I mean, I'd say we're about an hour and a quarter or an hour and a half in. And not a lot's happened in this movie, apart from a few fights whilst they're picking up people, yeah. Now, that guy speaks of King Levitica on home planet of Sharon. I kid you not. I'm glad you were paying attention, because I wasn't at that now, point. Now, Levitica, the King Levitica is sort of a squid-faced gentleman, isn't he? Oh, that's right, The yeah. team go there to find Devra of the Blood Axes. Yes. So Morpheus' sister, essentially. All of these Blood Axe people arrive to tell them off for contacting them. <laughs> Because of security risk, I don't know. But there they are. There they all are, anyway. Blood Axe Clan agrees to join them. Pretty quickly, it's, it That's has to right. be said. It, quite quickly, yeah. Just one argument. Okay, well, think if you were them, and you are, you know, farmers alone, wouldn't you want help? And they helped us, so... And they'll go, yeah, let's help them! So there, there we go. Doesn't m- take much to be a diplomat in this universe, does Very it? shortly afterwards, because he's now hot on their trail... Admiral Noble <laughs> arrives to punish King Levitica, which he does, of course, with his punishment stick that gets ceremonially handed to him. We then look at a place called Con- Gondival, an unregistered trade depot, uh, and Kai is apparently here to sell some goods. Again, Kai has this crazy plan where he just says what he's going to do next, and Cora seems happy to go along with it because he- I guess he's her only ride at this point. Turns out, of course, that Kai... Space Irish has betrayed them. He's sold them down the river, hasn't he? Not as good as Harrison Ford in Star Wars, no. And the boxes he was carrying, which he <laughs> claims are stolen goods, are in fact these special prison chairs. That oh, When crikey. you open them up, Tricky they thing. take prisoner of Terek and Nemesis and Titus and Cora. The Admiral arrives now. Kai is getting Gunnar to paralyse Cora. He hands him the drill to do it in at the back of her neck. Of course, instead, mm-hmm. Gunner kills Kai. She hops free, and a huge gunfight ensues. A gigantic gunfight. It's gun a fight, cool yeah. fight, as usual, from one of Zack Snyder's things. She winds up fighting the Admiral's sort of stick to fist, as it were, doesn't she? She ends up breaking the stick and stabs him with the pointy end, knocks him off a high platform. Uh-huh. Not before Damien is killed. Not before Morpheus is Who's killed. Who's Morpheus? Damien, the leader of the rebels. <laughs> Is he killed? Sorry, I'm getting mixed up with other movies here, aren't I? Obviously, I don't know why that's happening. They're going back to Velt. They go back to Providence yeah, and park. Right. I don't know why you can't park at the village. I mean, they had no problem parking at the ranch where the Griffin rider and they found Derek. But here, apparently, you can't. You have to park at the spaceport and then walk or get a horse uh-huh. to the little village. But that's what they do. We see the robot there. He's now wearing antlers and uh, watching them arrive. <laughs> Very midsummer. Uh, and, yeah, so it looks like he's joined the village vibe, yeah? He's gone full And then the scene cuts, and we see Ad- Admiral Noble again. His body... Has somebody got some of that hooker? Well, his body is being collected by all these, like, tech priests that they have in these strange headdresses. Yeah. And they plug him in through his little kind of holes, connect him up, and submerge... To a natural plane. Submerge his body into some kind of fluid, and oh, wow. this fluid bubble rises up with his body in it. And he somehow... Okay. Not like navigators in the... In he the awakens on, on uh, a frozen lake, fully dressed in his normal uniform. Astral plane, I think, is what he's trying to get oh. across, isn't it? He's in a different sort of conscious dimension because he can move through space to meet, talk with other people there. Here he meets the regent who tells him to crush the rebellion and capture his daughter alive for execution. Oh, that's great, because that means we've set up for a part two. He then dismisses him, and the bubble drops back, and apparently he's okay, despite being stabbed and knocked off a high platform. As you say, that is now setting us up for part two. Part two. Which is called... Okay. Uh, I don't know! The Scar Giver, (laughs) Paul. The Scar Giver. 
It is. It's already been filmed, and the budget between the two was shared at 160 million dollars. What's the release date though? Oh, April I guess the 19th. It depends what traction they April get. April the 19th. Oh, okay. They've yeah. all decided. Presumably straight to Netflix again with many, maybe a mini release in four cities. If you're lucky enough. So, Paul. There we go. What do you think of Zack Snyder's in overall terms? Yeah. Slightly self-serving plot takes rather a lot of what are now rather mundane tropes from other space opera franchises. Ultimately, had a lot of Marvel DC energy, <laughs> but ultimately didn't convince me, unfortunately. Entertaining, though, isn't it? I mean, it for mindless entertainment. The fights were really, really, really yes. well done. Superbly choreographed. Uh, love the filmography, the cinematography. You know, I just love the settings. However, th- it was just... They had serious issues with the pace yes, they do. in the middle. Like nothing, apart from collecting people <laughs> and having a few bumps and scrapes along the way, nothing in terms of developmental plot-wise happened for a good hour of the movie. It's just a, such a long lull. I think lulls are important in movies, but it, ooh, yeah, that, that was a mistake in pacing, I think. I just thought the script was just too self-serving, you know. Everything was there to push this in a direction that would make it watchable for a certain demographic. It was just too artificially constructed. I don't think he ever had a brainwave. He was never like Paul McCartney waking up and writing down that lyric on, on a piece of paper by his bedside for the morning so he doesn't forget it. There's, I don't think there's any inspiration to this movie. Does that make well, sense? It does feel like we're going through the motions of the Seven Samurai. You know, motions, yeah. We've got to pick up yeah. all of the anti-heroes and heroes into a, a ragtag bunch... Obviously, there's going to be some conflict, some drama that we're going to have to overcome. We know we're going to get a big fight at the end of the next movie, or I don't know how many movies there are supposed to be, but it's difficult to pace a film that is literally just the setup of a bigger story. It is just a setup, yeah. yeah. That's the failing of it, isn't it? It just feels like we're on a light conveyor belt. Here's the next one, join the crew. Here's the next one, do your little task, join the crew. But that's DC Marvel, isn't it? The fights almost become quite meaningless in those movies. I mean, that's why I don't think adults can actually watch them and particularly enjoy them. They're too senseless, wow. aren't they? There's just a lot of senselessness. I thought this. Well, it's very showy, but ultimately, you know, ringing with hollowness. I just thought this rang hollow too. In terms of setting up the world, the world creation, it was just there. The, the creator of the world to justify the existence of the movie, kind of thing. I didn't feel there was any love to this, Richard, is the problem I have with it. It wasn't created with love, was it? I think there's a lot of love gone into the cinematography. Some stunning shots. But then again, I think Star Wars did a much bigger... The home planet scenes just have a real vibe to them. Maybe it's a soft focus of the film at that time, I don't know. But they just had a real vibe, a glowing vibe that this doesn't have. I mean, ultimately, you're going to compare it to Star Wars because it, it references Star Wars as an influence, doesn't it? Oh, God, yeah. So that's a mistake, I think, because Star Wars is, is a truly great movie. <laughs> but going back to the, the sort of structural ancestor being The Seven Samurai, which itself yeah. was remade as The Magnificent Seven as a Western. Magnificent Seven, yeah. yeah. Which itself has got remade as well. I mean, there's a very cheesy kind of sci-fi B-movie called Battle Beyond the Stars, which is the same thing. The hero goes around, he meets a literal space cowboy and then a, six other weirdos. And they all have to fight the big baddie at the end. I mean, strange. This is built as space opera, not space western. I think it is more space western than space opera. Oh god, they have a know? ranch. You know, they start on a farmstead, don't they, with simple mm. farming folk? It, absolutely. This pitch was. I'm reading it. This pitch was to be a more mature take on the Star Wars universe. No, I don't get that at all. Hmm. I mean, I suppose they're going for quite a dark enemy, aren't they? Paralyzing people, capturing people, and. Nearly uh, a sexual assault or rape occurring. You don't really see that so much in Star Wars. They just blow up a planet full of people. (laughs) Of course, The Magnificent Seven itself was remade recently as a 2016 or something. They remade the old Western. It's a story that obviously keeps coming up. So the original Kurosawa, it's a classic story. Definitely. Brilliantly told in its original inception. Is it valid to keep remaking stories in different genres? They're already very good. No, it's not. I mean, don't. just. But some people won't watch a black and white movie about from the 1950s about samurai. That's Japanese. True, 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 true. 
I mean, there's 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 the female Ghostbusters. That's thing, not telling the same story, though, that, is it? Or is it? It isn't. No. Well, I mean, the, the, who was that gay guy uh, who with pink hair who was like uh, right wing sort of promulgator in the late two twenty ten? What's he called? He was British and moved. To oh, he was huge on YouTube what's for a while. Called? Yeah, I know who you mean. But anyway, he had a go at the black actress in there and compared it to some sort of jungle animal. And so it's difficult to come in and say, well, actually, I thought female Ghostbusters was crap too, because, you know, he said all that. But I think it was crap, not because it was a female rehash of it, simply because it didn't take Ghostbusters anywhere further. And the original was just such a quickly written, well-written, snappy thing that didn't need to be reworked. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But I think you say if it's black and white of the 1950s, yeah, I mean, if you're going to do it, but do it well, you know, and I... I don't think this really... I mean, with, with Seven Samurai, or I'm not sure which of Kurosawa's this is based on. I think it's based on a couple of them, isn't it? There's one where he sets off to a brothel keeper and a, a, and an inn owner in some abandoned little little Japanese shantytown against each other by playing the middleman. I mean, they're, they're, they're strategically, you, you, it, there's a lot of fine detail to his work where you're actually seeing what people are thinking and how their planning and strategy affects the outcomes. You, you're kind of rooting... Or at least thinking the chess moves along with them. I mean, this didn't happen here. We were just we hadn't we, we weren't given options. It was just a linear path, and we said, "Oh, where they're going now?" We were told where they're going now. There was never any choice. They never had to make choices here, did they? They just met foes along the way. So it didn't really capture that spirit of Kurosawa at all. I don't think. Yeah, just picking up the the very basic story of collecting characters along the way to help you in a big fight. It's not exactly Shakespeare, is it? <laughs> No. Also, the humour. I mean, think about those kind of classic literature moments. We're talking about Don Quixote, aren't we? Or we're talking about Canterbury Tales. Those kind of adventure-by-accident, great literary experiences. It didn't have any of that to it, did it? I mean, well, like I say, I don't think he was particularly inspired when writing this. He explicitly made a a, a script that was going to fit studio requirements and so it does fall down because of that i think let's talk about the acting then the acting i can't fault i did enjoy it i particularly like doing bay as the the is she a cyborg witch nemesis nemesis yeah she was she, I mean, she was generally creepy and i think the kids would enjoy that too and yeah what else aris was well fit wasn't he although he didn't really play a later role i liked the traitorous irishman uh, although I did kind of see through it, I knew. Kind oh, of really? Knew he was gonna. Did you nail him straight away? Yeah. What, yeah. At what point yeah. were you suspicious? Well, the fact that you said I'm not, I'm not oh, a bounty hunter. Right, right at the beginning. Cool. You know, I thought, well, obviously, it's a bounty hunter. You know, I think the baddies are great. The English trope, trope hopping baddies are really, really well done. So for me, the acting does succeed. It's an eight. I loved Sophia as Cora. I thought she was amazing. Oh yeah, very Sorry, physical. I missed the main character. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So yeah, I'll give it an eight as well. Plot. I, I think I've grumbled about this enough, haven't I? Didn't really work. It's not as bad as I made out. It's the weakest part of the question. Yeah. Yeah. It's not really a plot. It's just a series of vignettes. A linear yeah. sequence, yeah. It's got to be a five for me. What did you say? Oh, five. Yeah, five. Okay. Five. okay. Mm, so, point, yeah. uh, well... Not as bad as I made out, but not great. Where do we go? What's another category, then? What? Well, so many to choose Special from effects. here. Yeah, special effects and fighting. Let's throw okay. that in there. Special effects Action and scenes, stage, yeah. stagecraft here. Yeah. Yeah. Superb. Yeah. Can't really fault it. However, the pacing of them was ill-judged. Therefore, a 9 becomes a 7.5 for me. I mean, it's certainly a 7 or an 8. So I think you're right. But I'll give it an 8. I, I like the imagery of the stylistics mm. of it are quite cool. So do we have a category around that, maybe? Mood or... Star Warsiness or style, cinematography and soundtrack, which I guess is a technical rather than an end KPI, isn't it? Really? Sure, um, sure. Yeah, mood and feel and and look. Yeah, look and feel. Let's look and feel it. A minor success for me. Yeah, I'm into the quasi Warhammery style. Can you explain that a little bit more? What do you mean? The, you mean the the, 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 the armour, the outfits, the... You know the, the law, the fluff behind Warhammer 40,000, don't you? No. Games Workshop started Warhammer as a tabletop army game based in fantasy with elves and dwarves and orcs and stuff like that. And 
you could therefore play war games based of armies of orcs versus elves and stuff. Very Tolkien-esque. But they wanted a sci-fi version so that they could sell more figures and become even richer. So they invented... Oh, wow. They projected 40,000 years into the future, I suppose, and imagined an era where an empire of humanity had spread throughout the galaxy, Mm -hmm. led by an immortal and twisted emperor. He had developed a cadre of highly trained soldiers called space marines who wear this impenetrable armour and go around Mm -hmm. doing his imperial might all over the universe. The lore around... Warhammer 40,000's dark fantasy future with the uniformery and the devotion to the the one true leader and all of that stuff is very prevalent in in this uh, in the same way. It's a very militaristic, quite fascistic, but obviously it's done yes. with the int- well, I think Warhammer do it with the intention of pastiching it. I don't think you're supposed to think it's cool. Which movies send that up? Starship Troopers, yeah. Yes, Starship Troopers does something similar, doesn't it? That's yeah. a funny movie. Yeah. Which apparently as a novel wasn't entirely ironic, was it? I don't think. Uh, you think as a movie, it Verhoeven definitely was. obviously uh, punched it up as highly ironic. I suppose Star Wars does a bit of that with its own empire, but it's a bit more mm. airy fairy, isn't it? In Star Wars, uh, I don't think it, it. It's not very dark, is it? Star Wars. That's the thing. It isn't particularly dark. You know, no. the stormtroopers are all quite shiny most of the time, and uh, yeah. Yes, and inside the world of the empire. We don't see much inter-brutality. We don't see much brutality. They all seem to be living well-fed, well-fed lives. They're, yeah, they're, they're presented more of, as automatons, aren't they? Not really thinking for themselves. Yes. Which may say something about Lucas's preferences and ideals about society, perhaps. But there you go. Not, maybe he values individuality over the over society, perhaps. Where does that get us? Were we scoring a category, or should we do an overall score? Look, Look and feel. feel. Uh, yeah, I'll give it a seven for the... The stylist. The look and feel sweet. I'm going to go six only because of what other critics have huh. said. First okay. of all, a, a rehash of tropes, a strange kind of, uh, a strange collection of spare parts of other movies, copying motifs kind of Very thing. similar to J.K. Rowling. Yes, Rowan. it did. Yeah. <laughs> true. Yes, true. Oh, very similar to Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh, uh, yeah, you know? yeah. But Pirates of the Caribbean really brought the pirate movie back to life, With didn't humor. it? I don't, I don't think sci-fi movies need rescuing. Richard. Oh, no. Maybe not. Maybe not. And if they do, I mean, I can't see how this is better than any of them anyway. For that, I'm going to have to give it a six. And an overall score? It's going to be six for me. I think six is fair. It would be interesting to see the second one and see how it all hangs together as a piece, right? Maybe it will improve. Maybe having done the introductions, it will get better. So with the hope and expectation of promise, and I didn't resent... Seeing this at all, by the way. Apart from anything else, it's free on mm. Netflix. <laughs> well, I, the critics say that. They all say it's a great watch. But in the words of Jordan Hoffman, uh, he said, as a space opera, it has none of the weight of June, none of the characterizations of God of the Galaxy, none of the madness of Jupiter ascending or the fifth element, and none of the pep of Star Wars. And I think that's a fair comment, mm. isn't it? Yeah, I'll give it a six myself. On that note, we should talk about... We have to decide what we're doing yes. next week, Rich. Okay, well, let's not make any choices. It's New Year. You can choose, Richard. What would you like to watch next week? So you're not going to give me any options? No. Because no. if you choose this one, I'm going to choose okay, the next well, one. I've already got something lined up. Is I'm going to suggest, then, a movie that's been making a bit of a splash, I think. It's on Amazon or Netflix. I think it's on Amazon, isn't it? It's called Saltburn. It's about a young man going to Ox- Oxford and having a bit of a Brideshead uh-huh. revisited... Yeah, moment. Yeah, yeah. or a bit of Oxford Blues, which is the American going to Oxford, which is a fabulous movie starring what's that guy, the Brat Packer that did that stopped being famous, Rob Lowe. Rob Lowe, really? Yeah, Oxford Blues. But well, maybe you want to check along with Oxford Blues and wait. Kind of feels very clunky these days. Does he end up rowing? He does end up rowing. Yeah, no, you've I seen that. I, I like the sound of that. <laughs> He ends up punching some posh guys in a very American oh, that's good. way. Yeah, I, I like that. Yeah. I mean, Americans aren't as pop as they used to be, but when it comes to British toffs, who cares if he's American? Yeah, you know what I mean? yeah, yeah. All right, so Saltburn for next week. Until then. Looking forward to it. I'm sure we're going to have lots of stuff. Thank you for listening and goodbye. Ciao for now. See you on the next one. Bye.